I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Yeah, I needed to be with a group of people watching this show, especially when the strap-on scenes would come on. My mom loved the show. She watched it twice. She goes, oh, and you know, I had to rewind, and I'm such an idiot because I never knew that they had belts. <laughs> she was like, you learn something new every day. And I was like, "What? how did you think they stayed? And she's yeah. like, I just never really thought of it. <laughs> I'm diking out, you're diking out Let's dike out together See what it's all about Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out Hi and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that is urging you not to use medical gloves as finger condoms while hospitals need them more. I'm Carolyn Bergier. Don't do it. And I'm Melody Kamali. And today we are diking out with writer and director Ali Pankew about Netflix's new show, Feel Good. She's going to join us in a little bit because we are recording remotely amidst this quarantine environment that I'm sure we're all comfy and cozy with <laughs> by now. To that I say, ha ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you mean that you're not uh, at ease just being at home and hearing ambulance sirens outside yeah, that, of your apartment all day? I feel so much better if we can lower the volume of the sirens because there are not that many cars outside to clear the way. So I think they're good. And if they could kind of ease up on all of us with anxiety, yeah, <laughs> that'd be a big yeah. help. Just a few I decibels. The ambulances are being really selfish right now yeah. and crying out for attention. Especially when... those in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Stop being selfish. Uh, I know everybody wants to be in an ambulance right now, but you can't. There's yeah. uh, three to four hour waits in New York City. Things are pretty bad. I know we're joking about it. That's how we cope. But uh, it it appears that I do have coronavirus yeah i'm sorry carolyn we can joke about it because carolyn has COVID 19 <laughs> yeah yeah i'm immune <laughs> um i'm actually friends with the virus so <laughs> i can say that <laughs> i have some viral kind of toxic friends so i can talk about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so if you do notice me i'm gasping for air and Breathing deeper and sounding a little bit more labored than normal. That is why, Susan's, my lungs are uh, having a, a bit of a time right now. Do you think you know where you might have gotten it? Oh, I think I got it from Cecilia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because yeah, she was traveling for work. She was traveling for work, and she wasn't feeling well when she was over in San Francisco, and... We didn't think it was coronavirus. I mean, she had like a bad headache. She tried going for a run and said that I remember her telling me the one day she was like, oh, I tried running, but it was really hard. I was having a hard time breathing. And, and the coronavirus stuff was like just starting up. And she didn't think that it was related to that, though. She was also like working out of a warehouse where they were painting stuff and thought maybe the fumes were what was bothering her. Uh, she worked really long hours. So when she got back, she was like wiped out for like three days. And we just oh. thought it was because she was tired working. And then we never thought about it again. Like she didn't have a cough. She didn't have like a fever, flu, nothing like that. So we just didn't think about it. Yeah, I don't know. Because the, this whole time I, I, you know, started not feeling well. I was having bad headaches, feeling run down. But I thought it was because of the hormones. And I thought the last two shots I had given myself coincided with me not feeling so well. And then after I got the eggs out, you know, I had a little bit of a, like a sore throat the next day, but I still thought, you know, nothing of it. You were, you had a cold. I figured, you know, it was probably just a little bit of that. And I wasn't going to let myself get worked up into a COVID tizzy <laughs> over it. Uh, and then like Sunday after we recorded, I started coughing. I'm like, maybe it's because we were talking a lot. Mm -hmm. Monday, shortness of breath. Uh, Tuesday, really... I noticed labored breathing <laughs> and and then like at the same time I was like getting dizzy uh walking around my temperature has been up but not to a point of a fever it's just been hanging out in the 99s and yeah so I finally got uh on the phone with a with an ER doctor and they're like yeah sounds like you have it uh unless you can't say a full sentence or your fever spikes super high then like stay at home the last place you want to be right now is a hospital yeah, in New York totally. City no thanks 
that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Uh, Cecilia's taking care of me. I'm very lucky. I'm lucky that I could do a teledoc appointment because, man, the anxiety. Uh, <laughs> you're probably thinking, welcome to my world, Carolyn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is it comforting to know that we're all feeling a little bit of your normal everyday? I things? truly hate to say it, but yeah, it's a little comforting. Yeah. Um, that everyone's acting as I normally do. And also, this may have been a very dumb decision, but I had my psychiatrist appointment virtually, and um, I chose now to decide to wean off of my antidepressants <laughs> because <laughs> uh, this is a new one I've been on for like the last almost like eight months. I started at a very low dose, and then a few months ago, we upped my dose, and it's completely killed my sex drive. And uh, that's really it. That's why I want to. And that is killing your quarantine vibe. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, seeing if I can be quarantined. I better be doing it all the time. And this medication like is getting in the way. That's a good way to pass the time. It lowers stress and anxiety. I am seeing a lot of couples posting about how they're just, you know, they're just fucking and hanging out. Um, <laughs> so I got jealous. And at probably the time I need this medication the most, I decided to wean off of it. So I've been extra anxious this last week, but that's okay because orgasms make you happy for a couple minutes. So it's worth it. Worth it. <laughs> worth it. Um, I was really afraid that you got coronavirus from when the last social thing I did was when we all went to the movies um, yes. to see for the third time you saw a portrait of a lady on fire. It was my second time yes. and we took our partners um, because I got sick right after that. And then towards there was like an overlap where I was getting better and you started getting sick. And I thought, I wonder if we got it from the movie theaters. And then I was wondering what it, it's worth it then. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't think so. I don't. It's so hard to know with everything in New York. You know, I was going into Manhattan for doctor's appointments. Like Cecilia has really been treating this so seriously from the get go with like sanitizing and everything, as we've discussed. So I don't know. Like I don't think there's anything we could have done better other than like having started to quarantine in January when I think it was really probably going around New York a lot. A lot of people are thinking maybe they had it back then. Yeah. The anxiety though about like not being able to get tested, um, knowing that if you have to go to the hospital, they might not have a uh, room or the equipment uh, to support you. That's very anxiety inducing. Also with my breathing, it's hard to know um, because they're like, oh, well, if it gets to this point, I'm like, but is it like boiling a frog, you know, where you're supposed to, the saying is you like raise the temperature very gradually and then all of a sudden the frog's dead. So it's like, will my breathing just get like more oh. and more labored? And then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh no. And then it's too late. So I discovered that my phone, my trusty old uh, Samsung Galaxy S8 has <laughs> an oxygen monitor on it. Like they have in hospitals where you put your finger in the thing and it measures your blood oxygen levels. Uh, if you are a listener who's a nurse or a doctor and you're like, that doesn't mean anything, I guess let me know. I guess ruin my fantasy. That's been, <laughs> that's been like the one thing that's reduced my anxiety. I'm like, at least I can measure. It did seem to like completely change your mood last night. <laughs> it did. Before that, I was like breaking down in tears at points because I'm like, I don't, this is so stressful to not, to not know whether this is just like a cold or whether my lungs are going to fail me. 
uh, that's a real. And I apologize for what I said when you got so excited. In hindsight, I was like, oh, that was. <laughs> Carolyn messaged me that she has this oxygen saturation monitor on her phone, on her Android. And my reply was, well, I guess that makes texting a green bubble worth it. <laughs> and I saw you put up a Facebook post, like to all the people who. <laughs> to have all clout- the haters. <laughs> No, that's everybody's reaction to finding out that I have, I guess it's the most surprising thing about me is that I have a Samsung and to make it worse. So yeah, I had this Facebook post saying, you know, to all the jerks who shamed me for having an Android, it's the only thing keeping me sane right now. And then to prove my point, everybody who commented is like, I also have an Android. They're all like over 50 or live internationally. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I'm not cool. Whatever. Another (laughs) digging out, a past guest, Kelly Dunham posted, and I was really surprised about this. She had been in the ER. So she's a school nurse and she, I believe it looks like she got the COVID and uh, rumors started that she was dead and people started spending rumors because they hadn't heard from her. And she got back and had to like make a lot of posts around like, hey, please don't spread rumors like that. That's like very distressing to people. Uh, know, know the facts. It's hard though because people are like isolated in the hospitals. You know, my friend had to fly back home because she didn't want to give birth alone because they're not letting people. I mean, she's a month and a half away, but still, like, you're not really supposed to be flying when you're that pregnant. You're also not supposed to be leaving New York, but people are desperate, and she didn't want to end up, like, on that hospital boat giving birth without her husband. Yeah, I feel like I'm noticing a lot of people packing up and fleeing. Yeah. As if we didn't see what happened in Italy. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people... I mean, when it first started, like, a lot of rich people were going out to the Hamptons and, and whatever, but... Immediately, I was like, I can't I can't go see my family in Buffalo because I don't want to spread it. Like as soon as I was aware the situation got bad, I'm like, you just have to assume you're carrying it and that you don't want to spread it. And that's how you have to treat it. I want to know how many listeners who rent are planning on paying their rent. Because that's all I can think about. Uh, my oh, landlord has been um, such a passive aggressive bitch. Like, first they just sent us, mailed us a copy of our lease without comment. Just, you know, just so you know. And then since then, they've been sending us daily reminders, just daily emails with no comment, no subject, no body of the email. It is just an attachment of our bill, which obviously never happened before. They're obviously freaking yeah. out, but... They're freaking out because they know there's nothing they can do because a lot of people won't be able. Yeah, a lot of people aren't going to be able to pay rent and they can't take them to court over it because the courts are closed. And, you know, it costs money to take people to, to court. And I think they just need to be happy with the people. The people who can pay rent will continue to pay rent. And the people who can't, like, show some compassion. (laughs) You assholes. (laughs) So are you doing anything fun with the virus? Are you doing any, like, Zoom parties? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. You know, it's really... I've been telling people, like, that I feel healthy enough that I still feel guilty for not being more productive. But I feel... (laughs) It's like, unless I'm really laid out, uh, then I don't feel guilty about not doing stuff. But this whole time I'm like, I should be doing more. But then I also don't feel up to 
going too crazy that I did post a really silly video of uh, Cecilia doing celebrity impressions to entertain me today. But I haven't adopted any new, like, in place of regular socializing things. Like, people are moving to, like, happy hour uh, Yeah, I got invited hangouts. to one recently. What are you doing? Well, I joined a Zoom book club. Ooh. So I have never been in a book club in my adult life, but I realized I was watching so much TV. I just needed first a reason to read and then just people to talk to that aren't my girlfriend. I saw an Instagram story from a friend who lives in Alabama saying that she was starting a book club. Um, you know, it was like a poll on her stories um, if you're interested. And then she reached out and coordinated this weekly Zoom meeting. We're reading Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. For those of you who don't know, Glennon Doyle is a writer who famously was a very like Christian mommy blogger type who... Had a few memoirs out before all this, but she was promoting her most recent book when she was at a event and met Abby Wambach and immediately fell in love with Abby. And this is the first of her writing. We really get to read about how she met and fell in love with Abby and left her husband who had cheated on her, actually. So she became queer for the material. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> can only write so many memoirs she... and then you need a big change. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny that I'm like, even in a Zoom meeting where I'm not sure who's queer or not, I'm still like doing what I do in real life and just working with what I have and trying to clock who's a lesbian in the group. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, we went around and introduced ourselves and why we we're interested in joining the book. And I was just very blatantly like, lesbian gossip, 100%. <laughs> I have never read any of her other books. I just want to know about her and Abby. But For sure. Yeah, there are some... There were some very short haircuts, which I had and I later confirmed were lesbians, but some like iffy ones. Um, it was just funny that like <laughs> even in this like digital new way of meeting people, I'm like looking around their apartments in the background trying to <laughs> figure out who's gay. Because to me, like anyone, everyone is gay until proven straight, basically. So right, <laughs> I need right. to actually focus on the themes of the book we're talking about instead of like looking at every corner that I can in someone's apartment <laughs> for like, for like lesbian an clues poster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not even zoom can dampen your gaydar. I no. love it. <laughs> so yeah, still working on that. We should get around the pod. Glennon, Everybody yeah. has time now. Everybody has time I know. Uh, to, to dike out with us. Yeah, guys, get ready. We have some good guests lined up because we do. They have nothing else to do. And we know that. <laughs> yeah, we know that. And then also they don't have to physically be around us, which I know is a big obstacle to <laughs> some people who would otherwise do the pod, but are like, I have to be in a room with these strangers. Uh, no. Um, but now they're like, okay, from a distance, we will dike out and we're happy to have them. As And even today's guest was uh, somebody that we were going to interview out in L.A. and we were so excited about. And then with Feel Good coming out, we were like, why not move it up now and talk to, to Allie about that sooner since we don't have to wait for a trip out west. Nope. Before we bring on Allie. I do want to talk a little bit about Tiger King. Yeah. Uh, since we're going to, which is also a queer show, you know? It, yeah. Rural queers, people. Rural, insane <laughs> queers. Uh, it's great representation for 
you know, like back country, queer culture, also missing teeth culture. <laughs> uh, I only saw a little bit of the first episode. So I had listened to the podcast. It was the second season of Over My Dead Body where they did this story. And when your girlfriend, uh, Allie Clayton, told mm-hmm. me that she grew up with exotic cats, I was like, oh, I wonder if you know about Joe Exotic. And she's like, no. So... I told her about the podcast and then this series comes out on Netflix and I've only seen a little bit of it, but Melody, you've been watching it with Allie, right? Yeah. We just finished it last night and (laughs) it's, um, we did briefly talk about Allie's exotic pet ownership. I think when I was guest hosting the pod and she came on as a guest, but we had to cut it for time. Right. I don't even think it made the recording. Yeah, I've I, only oh, okay. kind of loosely mentioned it because I think we have to have an off topic dedicated to, uh, Allie and her life. Yeah, with exotic no, animals. I really do because I can't do it justice, but Allie basically, um, grew up with a lot of these pets. If you haven't started watching it, exotic Joe's about a man in what Oklahoma who, yeah. um, starts, buying exotic animals to the point where he owns his own zoo. He has his own TV show. He has merch. He's um, battling animal rights activists. But I put on the show for a little bit of escapism, obviously, in these in these crazy times. I just wanted something absolutely absurd. And I think that's why a lot of people are watching it, right? Very much not the case watching it with my girlfriend, who's just like, oh, my God, I feel like we might have bought something from him. Or <laughs> she'll... When, First, when Joe came on, um, she just goes, oh, my God, that reminds me of the guy we got our monkeys from. (laughs) And I was like, oh, here we go. (laughs) So then I made Allie. I realized we never actually talked in full detail about the amount of animals she owns or like what kind. So I made her tell me. Do you want to (laughs) know? Yes. The first thing they got was a lion named TT, a full blown lion. Allie's dad was um, grew up very poor, was like the first in his family to like go to school, graduate from college, got a lot of money and just spent it like crazy, bought his kids anything they wanted. Um, Crazy, crazy, irresponsible with money. So they got their first lion um, from the Charlotte Zoo, some another kind of Joe Exotic setup in North Carolina. That person sold lions and tigers and was just as crazy, if not more crazy than Joe, she said. Wow. It was funny. I was like, wait, how much are tigers and how much are lions? And she was like, well, I think at the time, lions were a thousand and tigers are a little more they're like 1.5 to 2,000 and then like literally the next episode he said those same stats (laughs) that is insane that's how much it costs for like a cockapoo puppy what yeah and then oh yeah so they traveled to somewhere in like Tennessee or something to get their first lion right as a family and then they had to get a hotel room because their mom didn't want to like drive through the night to go back to North Carolina and they had like a setup waiting they owned a lot of land there in rural North Carolina um so they they got to as a cub yeah so they had to but a growing cub they had to sneak that lion into a hotel (laughs) like you're not even allowed to have you know uh little puppy with you. They snuck a lion into the hotel, their first one. Um, And their dad was really concerned because it was making a lot of like growling noises as lions do. Um, Right. So what they did was put the 
lion in a duffel bag and her dad was like, listen, now we can't have any kind of pets, not like, especially not these. So what I need you to do is start making a lot of lion noises as we walk across this Marriott lobby. <laughs> and so her brother was just throwing his head back and like screaming like a lion. Um, and just everyone thought it was some out of control, like ADD kid. Um, wow. <laughs> just act weird. Um, and then, so they eventually, yeah, got, the lion to their home, and like we see in the documentary, people don't realize how fast that cute little cub grows, and it eventually grew so big that building a proper cage for it, even as like less than one year old, would cost like ten thousand dollars. She said like the way they coped at first was like digging up like bulldozing out huge tree trunks from their land and putting them in the garage. So the snow leopard or like eventually they got tigers, they would use those as scratch pads. <laughs> like full roots of massive trees. Wow. She said TT stayed with them um, until she was six months old. And then after they got rid of TT, they got a monkey. Um, Wait, got rid of TT. So then what, where did, where did TT go? Right back to the original owner. I guess. Okay. But then they got a monkey and the family thought it was fate because the monkey's name was Clayton already. And their last wow. name is Clayton. So they got Clayton. And that's when her brother started getting very interested in exotic animals. And he's now like cut to today. He's got like a couple doctorates. He's a primatologist and yeah, yeah. he works with exotic animals, especially primates. And he, when he was like, 10 years old, had a business card that he used to take around with him saying, Brent's exotic animals. If I don't have it, I'll find it. <laughs> and then it just it would just be him being like, Daddy, I need this. And him being like, you got it, son. So yeah, they went from monkeys. They had snow leopards. They had a black and white capuchin monkey. Um, yeah, yeah. Which she says is like the one that Ross had in Friends. Gotta um, have a capuchin. <laughs> Clayton cost $10,000. Um, wow. Said. Okay. Then, that this yeah. whole exotic animal pricing is crazy. That is. Yeah. We got to wonder about inflation too. This was like 1996, I think. Yeah. And then eventually they got two zebras. Now that Joe Exotics out, she's been on the phone with her dad, being like, "What was going through your mind?" Um, and he says <laughs> that they apparently did have a permit for the monkeys, but the leopards they got from a guy in Kansas who um, wasn't really well documented and apparently the guy who sold them their leopards from Kansas is the same guy who sold Michael Jackson his drafts for Neverland oh wow Just... it's like these are the types of people Joe Exotic Michael Jackson and my freaking girlfriend's <laughs> family <laughs> yeah living the American fever dream that so, is yeah very hard to watch a show and be like this is ridiculous and nothing's real right now and she's like this is very real yeah. I love Allie's pictures from her childhood. Follow her on Instagram at a country Clayton for that. So many things to watch in quarantine. Uh, our favorite, of course, Portrait of a Lady, at least my favorite, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yes, on is Hulu. out on Hulu right now. If you're listening to this, if you live in the U.S. or can have a VPN to the U.S. Hulu, you can watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire and that's going to really get me through this coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to say, another quarantine show that I flew through was Feel Good. Like, I yep. watched it all in one sitting. And yes. should have spaced it out, but I'm sure I'll be watching it again. Yeah, I started rewatching it. And uh, it was so great to get the opportunity to talk to Allie about it. So, Allie, not your girlfriend, 
Mm-mm. a different Allie who I'm going to go out on a limb and say did not grow up with exotic animals, even though she's <laughs> from Canada. All right, now it's time to dike out with our guest for today, Allie Pankew, about Netflix's Feel Good. Uh, Allie is a writer and director who does it all for music videos, branded content, TV, and film. And her recent TV credits include directing, of course, the first full season of Feel Good, which I think most of us have already binge-watched based on the DMs we've been receiving from all of our listeners. And then also she has directed an episode of Hulu's Shrill starring SNL's Sadie Bryant. And you've also written for Schitt's Creek, right? Yeah, it's true. That was a while ago now. Um, but I am very Canadian. And so it's yes. a rite of passage, I guess. <laughs> where uh, where in Canada are you from? Um, originally, I'm from the bad middle part of Canada, uh, the prairies, the flat tundra. Um, but I moved to Toronto for university and then was in Toronto for that part of my life and most of my 20s and kind of started my career there. Uh, and then I've been down in L.A. working here and kind of toggling back and forth for the last like five, six years. So I was wondering with with some of your credits that I saw and then, of course, May Martin is famously and maybe even now more so famously Canadian (laughs) based on the show Yeah, about like how tight, especially like the queer community is across Canada. I mean, look, May and I know each other and we're able to do the show together because we just knew each other as lesbians way back when in our early 20s (laughs) in Toronto, you know? Yeah, we uh, just kind of were in the same social group and you know, May moved over to the UK quite soon after I met her in Toronto and I moved down to LA obviously, but we always kind of just followed each other's work and I was always such a fan of her comedy and she clearly, uh, you know, responded well to the stuff that I was putting out. So it was a nice full circle moment to be able to go back to, you know, well not go back, but go to London and get to kind of like revisit our friendship in this new sort of way and in this more creative way, obviously, uh, making the show together. So that's awesome. But yes, every lesbian in Toronto knows each other is the the Coles (laughs) Notes version of that question and answer. You know, down here in the States, they'll be like, oh, I know this other Canadian. Do you know? And you're like ready to be offended. You're ready to get your guard up and be like, "Uh, you know, Canada's not that small. And then they're like, John. And you're like, John. And they're like, Smith. And you're like, "Mm, I do know him actually quite well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we we went to university together. So I'm um, a little bit Canadian. I was Ooh. born in Montreal. Yeah. No, it's it's strange, actually. Like there's a weird magnetism to other Canadians down here in L.A., especially like you find yourself just meeting someone and connecting with them and then finding out later that, oh, they're also Canadian. Um, and, yeah. that's like, you know, I met Dan Levy down here just through other Canadians. And it's. We kind of are this weird little enclave down here. So it's fun. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) So the release of Feel Good kind of coincided with quarantine time. Uh, (laughs) Um, It's funny you should say that. Is that on purpose? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I literally messaged May like a few days before the show came out when like all of this was happening. 
and like LA was really starting to take measures to kind of shut things down. I just like wrote May and I was like, May, did you dot, dot, dot create the virus? (laughs) It it felt like too much of a coincidence. It was, I mean, because the show was supposed to be released like back in the fall, I think, because it was initially commissioned for E4 and then I think Channel 4 liked it and wanted to find a place for it, a home for it on Channel 4. So it got pushed to this year, to 2020. And at first, like, obviously, because we all like instant gratification, we were, like, bummed that it didn't come out, you know, back then. But I think right. now, really thinking about it, it's the best time to be releasing any content. Yeah. <laughs> um, for that reason, I watched the whole first season in one sitting. Amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, Wait, Channel 4 also did um, The Bisexual, too. Are they, like, a cool queer network out there? I think the UK is just... They're a little bit less, like, risk-adverse in their programming. I think Mm -hmm. when they are looking for voices to maybe invest in or help lift up... I don't know. I just find that British TV is just really good at diversity, but without it feeling like kind of a solution to a problem it just feels right. like very natural um and i think the states and canada is still kind of learning the groove of that maybe but yeah no channel four puts out great stuff and i mean also so does netflix netflix is a huge supporter of like othered voices so it was a nice little combo um those two people or those two companies supporting the show totally is this the first queer narrative you've directed Um, I've directed my own short films that are very gay. (laughs) Um, I have lesbians in everything that I write personally. You're a hero. Yeah, you got to slip them in. But, uh, but it was like the first thing of this scale for sure, where I got to bring that perspective to like such a wide audience, which is so exciting. And that's like immediately when I read May and Joe's scripts I mean, obviously, I was just excited by the story because it's May's story, and I, like, know and love her personally, too. But I was really excited about being able to be a part of a team that was going to bring just, like, a new kind of queer perspective to the forefront, I think, because for me, I find a lot of the time when we see a queer person like May, who's maybe a little bit more androgynous or a little bit more masculine or what you know, however you want to use that term, however antiquated that is, um, they're often relegated to being, like, the buddy and, like, all they do is talk about, like, getting chicks. And I thought it was just so interesting to see such a, like, vulnerable, nuanced, layered type of character like May that we haven't seen presented before. And we definitely haven't seen an entire world, like, presented through their POV. So that was really really exciting to me. For sure. I think that's what a lot of people are responding to and excited about. Like uh, one listener sent a message and was like, yeah, these other lesbian shows and movies are fun, but shit, like feel good. That's real life. And that's like really relatable. And there's no character on TV that when I was watching, I'm like, oh, I've seen this before with May. It was just completely different, even though, you know, there are a lot of shows where the protagonists are comedians, but usually we're not seeing a queer 
androgynous comedian yeah. <laughs> at the center There's of just, it. like, so many nice intersections of different perspectives, I think, that come together in this show that makes it, I, I hope, is making it resonate with people. I've been getting so many nice messages from people. I'm, like, not popular <laughs> on, like, social media <laughs> at all. I'm, like, in the background behind the scenes, obviously. I'm not, like, a forward-facing talent. But I've been getting, even people are finding me and, like, sending me messages just being, like, thank you so much. I haven't seen myself portrayed in this way. I've so many like non-binary and trans friends and people in my life have just like some of the things that may expresses have been really speaking to them. And I just think that's so exciting. And it's actually been a really, really nice thing to have in, you know, this quarantine uh, in the end of the world. <laughs> Cause I do feel like there's this like connectivity that's happening and this like, kind of reaching out in the digital space that I personally, like, wasn't really participating in previously, uh, like, before this time period. But now, like, that's how, you know, even, like, not getting to do, like, a screening with cast and crew here in L.A., like, the way we're all interacting is online. So it's an interesting time to to be leaning into connecting to people uh, on the Internet because... I, I, you know, the queer community has always kind of found themselves there and had that as a venue or has been forced there uh, in order to connect with each other. And so I think it's like a really interesting time for this show to come out when we're all kind of like forced back into I'm literally in a closet right now <laughs> recording this interview. Um, but, you know, being forced back uh, onto these online spaces kind of. And that's how people are talking about the show. It's it's just interesting. I was wondering about that with, you know, when shows launch, usually you do a, a bunch of screenings in major cities. You do yeah. a, a press tour and it's very much <laughs> yeah. uh, like crazy time. But yeah, so a lot of that, I mean, obviously all the screenings have been canceled or is that something you guys would do at, at a later time? Well, I mean, look, I think there was one for like a, a very small kind of like press screening in London before all this happened, like a few weeks before the show came out um, or like maybe a month before the show came out. But I don't think that's like off the table to maybe do like some kind of like panel or Q&A down the road. That would be, I think, something that we'd all be interested in um, and hopefully fans would be interested in. Because, yeah, we didn't get to do a screening here, which was a bummer. Um, yeah. But actually what I did the show, the day that the show started streaming on Netflix, and I encourage like everyone, like groups of friends to do this because it was so fun. I got like all my queer friends friends to download that Netflix party like Chrome yeah. extension and so we all started like streaming the first episode like at the same time and it has this like chat feature down the side and so it was kind of like we all got to be there was like 40 of us in it and we all got to kind of like be live chatting um as the episodes were streaming and we, you like watch it simultaneously so it kind of felt like we were all watching together so I'm gonna start doing that like weekly like me and a few friends are gonna pick like an iconic queer movie um and uh send out the link and like anyone who wants to watch on the netflix party like once a week and we you know kind of 
have a feminist viewing of some old movie, um, we're going to start doing that because it felt really nice in this time. <laughs> yeah, I needed to be with a group of people watching this show, especially when the strap-on scenes would come on because I just got so excited. I was just nudging my cat like, this never happens. You never really get to see that represented. I know. <laughs> and definitely not the, like, putting on <laughs> so casually, yeah. which is yeah. a big part of it. I love You know, do you want to hear on. my mom's... My mom loved the show. She watched it twice. But the funniest thing was that she goes, oh, and you know, I had to rewind and I'm such an idiot because I never knew that they had belts. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, you learn something new every day. And I was like, what? How did you think they stayed? And she was like, I never really thought of it. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Yeah. That was actually, like, a difficult scene to shoot just because we had, like, no time. We shot that entire sex scene in, like, two hours. We had, like, they only have 10-hour shoot days in the UK. And so we were always racing the clock on this shoot. And um, and so that was, a, that was an interesting one. It was just me and May and Charlotte and our DP, Will, who was operating the camera in the room. And we were just, like racing <laughs> yeah uh, before the the end of that day that before that wrap um so that was an interesting experience to shoot something that intimate <laughs> uh with like a ticking clock <laughs> you know like a gun right. to your head kind of thing but I think it turned out pretty good man I already get nervous putting on a a strap on without like a ticking time <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> against it waiting. I feel like I'd be yeah, fumbling it all over the palm. place <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, talk about pressure. We had a great crew. We shot over in Manchester in the UK. I mean, it was just such a challenging but rewarding shoot in so many ways. It was so much fun. I'd do it a hundred times over. What were some of your influences or what inspired the decisions you made about the the treatment and the approach to mm. how Feel Good would look? Yeah, the look and feel, I mean... As a director, my job is to think about that a lot, obviously. And a lot of this job had to do with, like, learning about May's experiences and delving into her story and getting her perspective on things because it's all, you know, coming from her brain. It's like, how best do we (laughs) show the inside of May's brain to the world? What I usually do is, like, pick a couple of themes or quotes that really resonate with me that connect to like source material that I'm like working from um and then I try to build out kind of like a visual language and a look and feel and like a treatment around that thought or theme um and May had done a lot of like personal writing about addiction and some of the research that she had done that had helped her um and one quote that really stood out for me was like the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety it's connection and it's the whole Mm -hmm. concept that like I'm not a sober person but I'm also not an addict so that must mean that the cure for addiction isn't sobriety it's something else and so to me it was like this idea that addiction and connection are like the two kind of polar ends of a spectrum so everything kind of worked within that like worked with that juxtaposition so it was like in times when you know may was triggered or alone it was like things were kind of stark and empty and then Things felt very, like, lush and connected and intimate when 
you know, she found that with someone, and in this case, like, mainly with George. Um, But even, like, with Phil at times and when she connects with her mom. And so, yeah, a lot of it worked within that framework. And then it's just, you know, working with your team. And for me, it was just about kind of like playing with the contrast between those two feelings of like isolation and connection. And then I worked with a really great DP and we just like built out a visual language that spoke to that. And we did a lot of like experimenting to the tinnitus that, which in the UK they call tinnitus, um, but uh, the tinnitus that kind of May hears when she is triggered by something that's like drawing her in and like pulling her back towards her addictive tendencies. That was something like the sound itself was like written in the scripts and um, Ah, I really liked that. But then we were like, what's the visual representation of that, like, ringing and that that tone that's kind of, like, taking over the whole space? And so my DP and I were like, well, we'd love if things could, like, shake with or, like, tremor or kind of, like, be affected by that sound. So there was some talk of, like, oh, do we do that with, like, VFX and do actual things like pulse maybe? But then it was – that was, like, a budget (laughs) conversation. (laughs) So then we – we settled on like the what I I ended up loving, and I'm so glad that it ended up being this. But that the any light source in the room would be like triggered by that those like sound waves, and so that's when you see like the lights like pulsing and flickering in a space yeah. um, along with the tinnitus. So that was like a technique that we did. So we like built these like practical light rigs that are just like like light that are at the wrong basically the wrong wattage for the frame rate that we're shooting at and so that in camera it makes the lights like flicker in camera so it's something that's like sometimes a mistake that happens when you're shooting stuff like if the wrong light bulb is in and you're using the wrong camera and it talks to each other in the wrong way like you can get a flicker which is bad and you try and avoid that most of the time but we did that on purpose um to kind of create that sort of like overwhelming effect so it's just a lot of like a lot of prep and a lot of a director's job is just like a lot of discussions a lot of like getting to like what is the exact thing that you want to say with this scene with this line with this feeling with this character and then just like working from there and going okay how do I help you show that I like that that was already written in the script I don't how often does that happen where you have uh, the script writers like writing in ideas for sound design and um, well, that was, I think, something, like, sort of unique just because it. I, I think that is, like, an experience yeah. for me that, like, she f- does feel. That's – and so, yeah. That worked really I well on the show. I don't come across that a lot, but, yeah, but I really loved it. And yeah. then when we worked with the actual – you know, sound mixers and audio design team on the show, they helped, like, really flesh out that tinnitus sound. So there's, like, different sounds that get layered into that depending on the environment or the mood of each scene. So, like, in the hospital, there's, like, almost, like, a heart rate monitor and, like, a beeping that's also, like, embedded in the tinnitus when May steals the oxy. Yeah. And, you know, so there's, like, different things like that that we layered in after the fact, too. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. 
With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. One thing I was curious about is, so Melody and I, when we were talking about this show and how excited we were to watch it, one of the reasons is we are both huge fans of Lisa Kudrow, and yes. uh, we both are obsessed with the show, The Comeback, and... And everything she's done. Uh, yeah, ever- everything she's <laughs> yeah. done, especially The Comeback, but yeah, yeah, everything she's done, she's just so brilliant, and... What's it like to be directing Lisa while also directing May, who, even though May's been a, you know, performer since she was a teenager, this is the first, like, major TV role she's ever had. Mm -hmm. So how do you work with... So that, to me, is, like, the most exciting combination that you can possibly have um, on set, actually. it's And it's also, actually, it's what worked with May and Charlotte, Richie, who plays George, really well. I love when you have these two different performance backgrounds merge and meet, because uh, it creates this new dynamic that you just can't replicate any other way so like I call someone like Charlotte or like Lisa Kudrow they've been doing this forever they're so precise they're like like almost like a fighter pilot like they're just so classically trained um and are so good at what they do and then May is just simmering in all this like naturalism and she's just so herself on screen and when those two like energies intersect on screen what it does is it like challenges each party in a new way you know because like now Lisa Kudrow is bouncing off of this kind of more like improvisational performance that's really steeped in this specificity and then May is bouncing off of this like very like precise acting and yeah, it just makes, I think it takes each party's performance into into really interesting new directions and spheres. So I really love that combination. And I think it's exciting. And I got to see it every day, though, between May and Charlotte as well. Yeah. And that was just so fun to harness and capture and do justice to. Yeah, May did such a great job, I, I think, in acting because I don't know if people have realized this, but a lot of times stand-up comedians 
comedians do not make the best actors. <laughs> I know it. More often Don't I know not? It. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, she's good. She is. Like, you, you can't. You can't really say it any other way. She's like a revelation. She was so just a joy, you know, to see do her thing. It's also, you know, like she's playing herself and who who better to do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And do it in a way that seemed so, I mean, she could communicate a lot with being like very subtle and just like different choices that she was making that that seemed subtle, but you felt like you were getting such this well-rounded, developed character uh, in only six episodes. Yeah, I think it was just because she wasn't scared to shy away from either extreme of herself. You know what I mean? Like, she wasn't trying to paint herself in any one way. She just was, like, laying it kind of all down on the table. And then she was like, you can decide how you feel about me and this character, which I think is very cool and brave. So when did you shoot this? I I saw May post to promote something about the show, and she was like, even though we shot this forever ago, like, <laughs> yeah. just to give the uh, listeners an well, idea like, of the development process, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, so we shot last, like, February uh, is when I went over to London of last year, so of 2019. Um, and then, you know, we shot over the spring, and then we did post in the summer, um, so it wasn't, you know, eons ago, but I can understand how it feels that way for me because I felt that way too with each month that went by. I was like, oh, I just wanted to come out and be in the yeah. world. But yeah. Do you know how long ago she had written the, the script initially or was shopping it out? Um, I think, I mean, look, development and writing and making anything is like such a long right. process and you only start realizing that when you're in it. (laughs) I know her and Joe had written these scripts or started writing them or at least written the pilot script like quite a long time before. Um, I don't want to like misquote, but yeah, development is just a really long process, you know, and there's so many different stages and like hoops that you have to jump through in order to like actually get to set and be shooting your thing. (laughs) And it happens with everything. It's like, I'm developing a feature right now and it's happening with that. I mean, now everything's kind of just one big pause button because of Corona. And then you hear stories about like the guys who wrote Stranger Things. It took them like 11 years to get that show made from when they started writing it. Like (laughs) it's just, it's just the name of the game. I don't think that uh, it was 11 years uh, on this one, but yeah, it was definitely, you know, development is like a marathon. It's not a sprint to make anything. Do you have any creative influences that you'd want to talk about that made you think you wanted to direct eventually? Yeah, I think for me, directing kind of was something where all of a sudden one day I was like, oh, everything I've been doing kind of comes together and the combination is directing. So I had always been a writer. I actually went to journalism school in Toronto, uh, but I started my journalism degree the year that like the like society was like print journalism is dead. <laughs> I was like, oh good. But I went into broadcast and like uh, broadcast news and doc studies in that program, and there I learned like the technical skills of like shooting stuff and editing stuff and like p- producing little you know shoots. And I was like, ooh, I love this, but I don't love news. Um, so it was kind of like my writing came together with the like technical skills that I learned doing doc stuff in university 
And then also I had been, I was a dancer my whole life growing up and then like a dance teacher and did some choreography, like before I left Alberta and moved to Toronto. And so that also like that visual component kind of, of like blocking and choreo and stuff, it all kind of came together. And I was like, oh, I think this is all together (laughs) directing, (laughs) like understanding story and knowing how to shoot and edit things and like. And then, like, having a visual brain where I'm trying to tell stories through movement. So um, it was kind of like a lifelong process of coming to the realization that... And then I had also always just loved film and had always wanted to work in the industry, just didn't quite know how in the beginning. And I've always been influenced by comedy and have been drawn to that, I think. So, I don't know, just, like, looking back, like, realizing the things that I liked watching as a kid and a teenager, you know, like all the Christopher Guest films and Best in Show and all of that and old SCTV and SNL and like Coen Brothers films and Wes Anderson films. I mean, it's unfortunate that all of those were made by men. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. I think that's why it took me a little bit longer to like find my place was because you, I just didn't really see a lot of young female directors especially not doing comedy that felt like so hard to do and then I I remember being like oh yeah girls like Lena Dunham's doing it all and uh it's just like the more I started seeing young women do this the more emboldened I got to be like yeah I can do it too I also am really influenced by all of Judd Apatow and Paul Feig's work because I feel like that was the first time I was like, oh, my God, naturalism. Like, it's so wonderful. And dramedy and, you know, like, kind of these devastating moments for these clowns. Um, and I really liked that, too. <laughs> yeah. Freaks and Geeks feels queer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's something about it that's very gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not just Kim Kelly's yeah. line. It's I mean, I have a that. whole other subset of, like, gay films that awakened me in a different way. Which um, ones? Name names. But... Okay, well, so I remember the first ever film that I saw at a film festival was back in Toronto, um, and it was called XXY. Um, Do you know of this film? It's set in Uruguay, and it's directed by a woman named Lucia Puenzo. But XXY was like, I was like, whoa, this, it it was just like, it's like a queer coming-of-age story about an intersex child. and. It's just gorgeous, and I remember just being like, oh, my God, like, what is this? I don't see movies like this in theaters. Like, why doesn't like why doesn't this kind of slow burn thing exist in theaters? So that was, like, a formative film for me, obviously, but I'm a cheerleader, uh, <laughs> was very important to me personally. My sister is also gay. She's, like, much older than me, though, and she showed me, she, like, rented me that movie from Blockbuster, and it was a... Uh, important (laughs) um wait hold on did she rent it because she was like i like was she on to you or (laughs) i don't know if at that point she was on to me but i just i actually owe my sister a lot she like made sure that i wasn't like a shitty teen in a small town and she's like very responsible for me having good taste in like films and books and music and stuff like that so i think she just didn't want me to be like boring yeah maybe. and then little did she know <laughs> it's her fault <laughs> <laughs> and i mean obviously lost and delirious that's a canadian film as well piper parabo yeah. just 
in general Man, yeah. <laughs> is queer canon to me. And I mean, there's obviously been more recent examples, but, you know, not a lot, unfortunately, for queer women. Like, it, it, when you really think about it, we get like one story over and over and over right. again. And it's like the coming out story. It's what's the other Piper Prabo movie? The one with, Imagine uh, Me and You. Imagine Me and You, Below Her Mouth. Like, this is all the same story. Like, we don't really get a variety of story as queer women. Like, it's very much like one of you is out, the other one isn't. It ends tragically. Piper Parabo jumps off the roof. Or, you know, or, like, or you have to decide if you want to leave your shitty husband to be with, like, the hot, like, construction worker lesbian. <laughs> I don't know. Like... It's just, it, it doesn't feel like we have, like, a wide variety of films or TV shows yet. And that's starting to change. Like, Work in Progress was so right. amazing. Yes. The new Showtime show. Like, I, I do think we're starting to see more specific stories and more specific voices. And, like, uh, you know, hopefully, and I, I have a hunch that Feel Good uh, exists in that category. But, yeah, like, it's tough to pinpoint a ton of, queer cinema that spoke to me especially earlier on in my life because there wasn't a ton of it you know it it's interesting that in feel good you do have this storyline of one person being out and the other person not being out but it's such a different take on it than we've ever seen and it's like discussed like multiple times it's addressed like in different episodes it's not just like this one big thing that the whole story builds up to it's just like a facet of like many things going on and it feels so much more fresh and interesting yeah I think it's just because it's not the only thing we're talking about it's fine to talk about those queer themes it's it is it is everyone's journey that we have to you know come out unfortunately and we talk about identity and how are you going to identify and what does that mean and like these are themes that are totally fine to address it's just when it's the only thing we're talking about or discussing in a piece of art in a film or a tv show that's when it's like okay, I think we can move beyond this and not have it be someone's entire story or the only facet of who they are or what they're struggling with. Yeah. Like, you know, that's when I think it it just colors then everything else about the show. And you can pepper it sporadically and have it create tension in a story, but it's not the whole story. So I think that's, again, another thing that I was, like, drawn to in the scripts. And, like, you know, is something that I can relate yeah. to as well. I loved how how honest it was about these topics, and I think that's why a lot of queer people are finding it so relatable, and especially when May does that big set that gets taped and put on YouTube and everything, but where she's just being, like, so honest about these things that were a lot of us are too afraid to say or maybe would only say in therapy. Yeah. And she puts it out there on stage, and it's, like, again, just stuff you don't hear explored on shows that, you know, we were all led to believe was designed for those kind of conversations, like the L word, you know, that was a... I mean, I feel like I'll get in trouble if we talk about the L word. Yeah, we're not <laughs> or like the new to say anything bad about, so about the L word. We have our takes on it. But that'd be fun. Okay. Uh, but I don't know. It just felt so raw and so interesting. And another thing, too, was that the 
the, the whole time, and maybe others will disagree, but I'm like, these two are are bad for each other and shouldn't be together. <laughs> like a lot of people are Team Lava. A lot of people are Team Lava. Yeah, <laughs> I was Team Lava. <laughs> I mean, I I think there's like enough that redeems like the central couple that makes me want to see them wor- work it out, but they definitely have a lot to sure. work out. Like I, I need them to yeah. work it out. Yeah. 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 It, it wasn't, yeah. I, I guess it like, it wasn't this thing that it's like, Oh, these two people are brought together and they're like so perfect, but there's like one tragic flaw that's yeah. preventing them from being together. It was like, Oh no, this is like a real relationship of two people who maybe don't know if they're supposed to be together, but they make each other feel good when they're around each other and they and like, want it else? to work. It's the end of the world. You guys, it's the yeah. Corona. <laughs> like, what else can you ask for? I just think there's so much specificity in this relationship. Like, how they touch each other, how they speak to each other, their own little language that I think that's what really makes me feel like it's a real love and like a real relationship yeah. and makes me want to see it fought for. Because, it, yeah. yeah, it reminds me of my own relationships that are flawed and my friends' relationships. Like, you know, we all know those couples and we all know probably so many of those couples. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so I think that hopefully that's what people are rooting for. Is like you can tell that they've, like, built up this own little universe for themselves to to be safe in together so. yeah and you feel it on screen when they're together mm-hmm. like you feel good like it's oh warm yeah and fuzzy. the direction it's really great oh thank yeah. you yeah I really wanted to protect what was good about their relationship that was really important yeah. to me like visually and like kind of create this like safe haven in this room and this like very soft feminine like protective place for them yeah. where they could always like come back to I do also love the main character not being the one struggling with her sexuality for once and having yeah. that just be kind of a little secondary and that's not yeah. the main focus or like vehicle for tropes to be like shoved down our throat at least. Yeah, I mean like that's what I like about this show is like all of the like topics come second to like the characters, you know, oh, yes. um, which I think is... <laughs> to harken back to something we were speaking about just mere moments ago. Like, (laughs) sometimes I think that's the downfall of queer content is, like, the topics and the issues take center stage in, like, the show or the scene as opposed to being, like, come to in a more natural way through character building and character specificity and how different people deal with different things. Yeah, that was one of the things I love so much about The Bisexual, which is another one of my favorite shows. And that, you know, even though they call it The Bisexual, it's really a story of Desiree's character, who's like some version of herself Mm -hmm. and, and what she's going through and not supposed to be like this big statement about bisexuality necessarily. Like there's a lot, there's a lot in there, but that's not what it revolves around. It revolves around the character. Yeah, misleading and- title. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I haven't seen that show, but it's on my... The good thing is that everything that I felt guilty about not watching in the last two years of my life is on, like, a big list that I am, like, <laughs> about to, like, slash through <laughs> in the next two weeks. So that's, that's on there. Yeah. 
definitely. Yes. Oh man, uh, definitely want to hear your thoughts on it after seeing it okay. because I yeah. love that show. Like the bisexual, this was only six episodes, and Very it felt British. like you got. So much in in six episodes. But yeah, I was wondering, like, is that just like a new trend or or that's just like a British thing to... I think it's a British thing. That seems to be their formula for comedy series. Yeah, I think it's pretty tight and concise. Like, I think it's a lot easier to build a shorter arc that more resembles the length of, like, a film arc. Like, if you think about it, a film's generally, what, like, two hours long? Films are that length for a reason. I think it's because the, like the structure of a film and a story kind of uh at least to a certain resolution point fits into that time slot well so i think maybe it's just like trying to mimic that a little bit closer and not like drag things i mean also just the uk is better at knowing when a story is like done i don't mean this story is done and like i mean i god we can only hope that there's going to be multiple seasons of this show, but I hope so. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, like, or even something like The Office. Like, they knew when to end The Office over there, and we just didn't over here. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They don't like stretch it out for the sake of advertising. Yeah, and so I just think it's more maybe it's just about being a bit more concise, or maybe that's just the way it's always been done there. And I don't know what I'm talking about, so <laughs> could be both. Yeah, so are they are they being released weekly there or uh they are but they're all available to stream on all four, which is like Channel okay. 4's streaming uh platform. So they are like airing on normal broadcast once a week, but I think that British well yeah, I know that British uh audiences have the ability to stream all of them. But I don't cool. think it'll be on like Netflix there for a while. So Melody and I both do stand-up comedy and I really enjoyed the the scenes in the comedy club, mm-hmm. uh, yes. especially the, the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, everything about it. The name of it. Um, I, you know what I got to keep? I got to keep a bunch of gag bin coasters. Yeah, yeah. Had made. <laughs> that was my one thing that I stole from that set. <laughs> one of the more relatable parts for me was when the guy is on stage and just talking about jizzing everywhere <laughs> and the crowd's just like eating it up and yeah. May's like, if they love him, they're going to hate me. Yeah. And boy, does every queer woman comic feel that <laughs> I going bet. into a club room. <laughs> yeah, the club environment. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's the same with like all entertainment. It's like what we see succeed are like Michael Bay movies where I'm like, I think he thinks he's casting the same actress in all the movies, (laughs) but they're different. And he just they just look so much alike because he thinks like a woman only looks like Megan Fox. But um, (laughs) like that's what we've seen succeed. And so I think there's this like inherent like will people like me in all like female or other creators because it's like what have we seen do well what have we seen make a bunch of money what have we seen like be applauded and so for something like this I'm like are people gonna like it it's you know it's like such a different thing but what I've found is that people the more specific that something can be and like the more like outside the range of what we've been like force fed for a hundred years, like ends up being people are like ravenous for it. So I hope that's your experience when you're doing comedy is like I now when I see a white straight like 
cis male comedian get up on stage, I'm like, he better be so fucking funny. Like, he better be the right. best writer of all time because I'm so fucking bored of this perspective. Like, and yeah. same thing when I see, like, a big action movie come out. I'm like, it better be the best fucking action movie of all time because otherwise it's like I've seen it a thousand times so it's like I'd much rather see something from a different perspective and I think that audiences are feeling the same way do you do you think that (laughs) I don't know yeah that there's like specificity or there's universality and specificity like the more yeah yeah that's a much better way to say what I said for the last 17 (laughs) minutes (laughs) because of my little art school really shoved that down my throat um yeah but But it's true totally I like I think audiences are like sick of it hopefully yeah, and that's why I yeah. was really inspired by Lena Dunham and Desiree Akbar. I was just like, oh my god, the more they zoomed into their life, the more relatable and like robust and interesting these worlds were. So I, I love, and I yeah, feel good doing that to a T yeah. too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, May, there's never been a more specific person than Mae Martin. So. Yeah. yeah, I think that the show is definitely positioned to just not be a show that's like big with lesbians, you know? That yeah, it has no. so much broader appeal. And even a friend of my wife texted and he related a lot to May's storyline in terms of struggling with addiction. And that was really cool for a cis guy to really relate to that. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, we're all little addicts in different ways. And I think right. it's very clear in this time <laughs> that it can be such a broader definition, which may touches on so well right. in one of the scenes. Yeah, it's. I think it's so relatable to so many different people. Yeah. I think if you don't struggle with addiction, you absolutely at least know someone in your life who does or yeah. has, and you can relate to that part of it too. And being with someone who maybe has a more addictive personality than, than you do. And like, yeah, I really do think that it's, people can find stuff in it. Yeah, I think like Lisa Kudrow's character as the mom and how complicated that relationship is where she's always going to be there for May when she needs her, but she also can't make herself constantly available. And it's, it just seems like there's so much like pain underlying that relationship and to see it, but it really seems to get at something that again, we don't, we don't see much. Yeah. Oh man. The scene in Ep six when we were shooting that, and she's like, I was never mad at you. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa destroyed that scene. Yeah. Her side of that scene shooting that was so in equal parts heartbreaking and so hilarious when she's talking about the suit. Like, we were all dying, marveling at her. Uh, I want to know, what's the book that that character is writing? Oh, um, I feel like you'd have to, like, ask me about that. (laughs) I think it's, like, based... I don't know how much of that is based in truth or not with her own mother. I'm like, I want to know more. I want somebody to write that I mean, like, the way... I picture it, the way I picture it is it's like a grand kind of like quest, like fantasy something or other. Like that's what was in yeah. my mind, but I, that could just be my imagining of it. Like Lord of the Rings, but like very yeah. sexual. <laughs> what was the line that's where she's I, like, I, I was like, use it. that in the first episode? Yeah. 
Like the, oh, I'm a hungry oh, empty right. ghost. <laughs> Pac-Man. I love it. Yeah. yeah, everyone can find something to relate to, even if it's, like, that mother-daughter relationship. That's why I love... It's not a show that I feel like I have to, like, pad and preface when I'm recommending it to a straight person. Like, this is just a good sure. show. Oh, yeah. Right. When you're, like, there's there's stuff in it, too. You can... They'll, you'll yeah. like stuff in it, like, when you're trying to get you someone like, to watch There's so much yeah. life in this. You're gonna love it. <laughs> it won't feel alienating. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this feels like its own beast kind of uh someone who i showed some cuts to early on when we were still in post was like i really truly haven't seen anything like this before and that was like one of the best compliments yeah. i think you could get about something that you've made it's talking about that specificity yeah. again is um, like do you know if you're renewed you know. yet because obviously you will be <laughs> i don't know but hopefully corona yeah. has helped bump our numbers up and we will be renewed. Yes. Um, it was just such a damn treat to work on something that's yeah. good, you know? They'd be fools not to, but that's just one small unemployed director's. <laughs> uh, well, listeners, hit the internet because people look at that stuff. So hashtag feel good. <laughs> Let Hollywood know that uh, you're Use streaming. Use your activate your queer grassroots marketing. Yes. Or demand a season two. <laughs> What's a story you can tell us about making this that you think our listeners would really love to hear? There's so many. Do you want to hear about the ghost train? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I don't know if you know where Blackpool, England is or what it's like, but... It's not normally a place you'd take Lisa Kudrow to. Um, but uh, we spent a few days up in Blackpool shooting some of the scenes, especially for episode, well, for episode yeah. four. And we spent a full day on that ghost train. So the way that we had to shoot it was we basically just had to ride the ghost train <laughs> like 400 times. And the only way that my, like, monitor because when you have your director's monitor there's like one on a stand and it's like pretty uh stationary and then you'll have like a handheld one and the stationary one talks to the camera with like a wireless signal but because we were going so deep into the ghost train like every time we would lose signal on the like director's monitor like outside of the entrance to the ride so i took my handheld monitor and like the only way really to shoot the scene so that i could like give performance notes and like really hear and see what was going on was like for me to be like in the fetal position like lying on the ground of the cart <laughs> and then our dp was like camera operating in the front seat like looking back at may and lisa and um there were just so many moving parts that day like there were like people peppered around the entire ride with like ghosts on sticks and like different like props that had to fly in and it was like one big choreographed dance and just obviously with something like that so many things go wrong so it was just really fun to see um may and lisa keep their spontaneity and like reactions up like time and time again as we kept shooting it but there was also this like one curve that we had to go around at the very end and May had to, like, jump off of the moving ghost right. train. Now, 
this ghost train was not going yeah. fast, okay? <laughs> like, it was going maybe five kilometers an hour. But because you're on a set and you have to take safety really seriously on a set and on a production, like, as as we all should, there was, like, a stunt coordinator for right. that moment. <laughs> and, like, it was, like, very rehearsed. But, like, if the timing of their dialogue didn't, like, hit at the right time as we rounded that curve, like... We all kind of had to always, like, make a split-second decision as to whether or not May should try and get off or not. <laughs> because if we did round it too far and she was, like, halfway getting off, she could have, like, hit her leg on a wall. Um, and so it was just, like, really funny, basically, how seriously that was taken. Because <laughs> it was truly, like, if you were getting pushed on, like, a shopping cart and then you, like, stepped off to the side. But it was this whole, like, drill <laughs> that went off every time. And so that made me laugh. And also just, like, you know... P- dropping spiders down in front of Lisa Kudrow's face and May legitimately being spooked every time uh, was funny. Um, And it was May's birthday that day. So we all, at the end, when we finally got the scene, (laughs) which was uh, a challenge, um, we all, uh, you know, there was like a cake and a happy birthday song for May outside of a ghost train in like desolate Blackpool with Lisa yeah. Kudrow. <laughs> so it was just like uh, probably something that'll never happen again for any of us. So that was a very that fun day. Fun. And she's just like, I'm going to stay on. Mm-hmm. I need to calm down. <laughs> like goes through the Yeah, rug. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. No, I die at that. I die at that. But yeah, it was funny. There were like five of us in a cart, like going around a hundred times. So is there anything that you wish that you had known or advice that you wish you'd received as you were starting out? As like a Oh yeah, no. As a director. director. (laughs) Both. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, Lord, the things we have a lot of baby gays listening. Um Um, I think As a director, just, like, start doing it as soon as you possibly can with whatever tools that you you have at your disposal at that time. Like, don't wait for the perfect opportunity. I had already made so much shit before I got this opportunity. You know, not every music video I've made, not every commercial I've made, not every short film I've made has been, like, the kind of thing that I'd want streaming on Netflix for millions of people to see. But it all gave me a new skill, a new experience, a new way of looking at my work that I wouldn't have then had this like huge toolkit and this like huge breadth of of experience when I got to something that was like a really important opportunity for me, which was doing this show. Yeah, I don't know. I would just say like make everything that you possibly can. I know that you, you, you've heard it before and you'll hear it again. Like film something on your phone, like write your own short film with your friends, like but it's so important because no one is going to give you an opportunity based on like what you say you can do or like right. even what you went to school for. They're going to be like, show me. So make stuff with your friends, find like communities of like other artists that you can collaborate with. And also what you what you find is like the people that you meet early on. Like I met May 12 years ago now and It took 12 years for us to make something together. But, like, that connection that we made of being, like, oh, we respect each other as artists, like, was then we were able to capitalize on that when we were both in the right place in our careers to do so. So, like, you know, stay connected to artists in other fields. Like, if you're a director, you know, make relationships with writers and actors and other kinds of creators and cinematographers who are, like, starting out at the same stage you are and like maintain those relationships because 
a lot of this industry is your relationships. And I don't mean in like a networking kind of way. I mean like building like actual like sustainable like mutual respect relationships with other artists that you like and want to collaborate with because those people will become your your crews and your collaborators like as your career grows so just like you know meet those people as soon as you can and start making shit even if it's bad because I've made bad (laughs) shit (laughs) we all have like that's how you learn you know there's no other way to learn as a director it's like you have to get on a set and make some mistakes and Hopefully you've shot enough small stuff so you don't make those same mistakes when you get to the big stuff. Cool. And all of that advice can be applied to being gay as well. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, get out there. (laughs) (laughs) Take every opportunity you can. You will make some mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Is there anything that you want to plug besides Feel Good available on Netflix? Um, considering we have like no industry right now because yeah. of the coronavirus, I don't like necessarily have something like coming out in the near future. But yeah, I would just say like stream the shit out of Feel Good and make sure that you get to see what happens to May and George in a second season. Yes. And I mean, you can also check out my other work on my online <laughs> platform. Oh, yeah. Do you have a website you want to tell us? I do. Uh, it's just AllyPankU.com. But I post all of my work on Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. What's your handle on, on social? It's just AllyPankU. <laughs> Great. Great branding. Good job. Great. Oh, and I will say something that everyone should check out if you are a young creator. It's a really good resource. Um, so if you're any kind of othered, like, head of department, so if you're, like, a woman, a person of color, a queer person, go to freethework.com. And if you already are working and making anything, you can apply to be featured on there. It's basically a database of like female it started as a just a list of female directors that like the industry could reference when they <laughs> tried to use the excuse we just don't know of any female directors right. um, so <laughs> it was made in response to that but now it includes composers and cinematographers and like any kind of like technical skill so i'm listed on there but so are like a bunch of other incredible othered creators and it's a really good resource to find like collaborators but also like a hiring tool for anyone that's in a position to like hire you know female filmmakers awesome great yeah well thanks so much for diking out ally it was great to oh my god literally anytime <laughs> <laughs> it was a real pleasure um i hope that you know you guys stay sane and in your relationships yeah likewise <laughs> through this time <laughs> The ultimate test right now. Yeah, um, truly. My girlfriend yeah. and I are already in the two rooms that consist that our apartment consists of texting each other and fighting. Like, yeah, <laughs> like two hundred feet away. <laughs> Not so. <laughs> yeah, I had my virtual therapy session this morning and my therapist did not seem surprised when I was like, we're arguing over Clorox wipes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how to ration them. <laughs> yes. Wait, what's your sign? Oh, yeah. I'm a, oh God, this is, I'm a, I'm a Scorpio. Okay. Okay. We're- yeah, that's everyone's. Okay, okay. I, she's I, I don't know much about Scorpios. We we were just saying uh, because Melody and I are both Capricorns, and then our 
editor for the podcast is dating a Capricorn and she heard us talk about how we're kind of stingy with the resources. So we're like policing resource use. And she's like, my girlfriend's doing that too. It must be a Capricorn thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pragmatism. Yeah. Pragmatism. I'm a fun psycho. You'll love, you'll love being in quarantine with me. <laughs> I won't have any food left by the end of it, but it'll have been a blast. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Bye guys. Take care, Allie. Happy Corona. Bye. <laughs> Okay, that was so gracious of Allie to spend the time with us uh, in quarantine talking about Feel Good. I hope I didn't ask too many questions about Lisa Kudrow. I know the (laughs) show's about Mae Martin. I just couldn't help myself. I'm not the one to ask. I love her so much. Yeah, that was great. Now for our listener question. This is probably one of my favorite to have come in so far. Very unique. Um, This one came in on Patreon. So... Gender reveal parties are the worst, but I'm a trans girl who's finally about to start HRT in a few weeks. So one of my friends had this wild idea to have a cup size reveal party for me in a few months when my boobs come in. And we were wondering if you had any ideas for the party. I do want to clarify that this party is meant to be a total parody, but we're hoping it becomes the most queer thing ever. Wow. So... First off, you know, we just want to disclose that we are not uh, party planners in any way. (laughs) So we will do our best. We are not party planning professionals. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations, though, on going through this and uh, that you're able to start HRT. And we hope that the coronavirus and quarantine and all that hasn't been a disruption to that because I know a lot of people's, you know, it's taking more time or it's like a little bit harder to get to a doctor and get your prescriptions and everything. Also, we hope your party is postponed Mm -hmm. because of social distancing and that just gives you more time to plan it. So let's think of some ideas here. You know what? I was thinking about Balloons, like my first thought went to the color scheme. And, you know, obviously for gender reveal parties, you have usually pink for a girl and blue for a guy. And I was thinking, well, definitely don't have pink or blue balloons, have rainbow. But then I was like, wait a minute, the trans flag is literally, you know, pink, white and blue. Right. So should we include pink and blue for this party? Yes, yes, I think we should have the trans flag really be the the color scheme here. And then, you know, because everything is all about colors for gender reveal and we're trying to to parody that with cup size, those are all letters. So have fun with, I don't know, like like those baby blocks that have letters on them. And then to have fun with it, go up to like really high <laughs> Letters, <laughs> you know, just in case yeah, yeah. your boobs are double M's or <laughs> whatever they go up to. And yeah, just thinking of like things that they do at a regular gender reveal and hmm. parody that. Yeah, what do they do at regular ones? They It's like a lot of like releasing balloons. You're surprised by something coming out of something. <laughs> yeah. It, it's also like everything starts off like as gender neutral, whatever that is. And then they reveal it. So I don't know what's, what's cup neutral, like a baggy t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) Not for me though. Um, yeah. How big, (laughs) yeah. How big does your t-shirt have to be for your, your your boob size to be ambiguous? I'll take the biggest t-shirt you get. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Or what about a pinata 
I've seen that gender reveal parties use pinatas and whatever comes out, I guess whatever color comes out is what's being revealed. But what, what, what would come out of a boob? Milk. Milk? What if everyone's sitting around in a circle around the pinata with black coffee and then you hit the pinata boob <laughs> and a bunch of coffee creamers come out? Huh? Right? <laughs> Milk? That... <laughs> you, want, you, you want sealed off creamers to fall into their cups of coffee or have it be like readily available to put in? And you're just going to dive in and there's going to be, you know, hazelnut, vanilla, and you're going to, oh, I want that one. You're going to grab it and put it in your respective coffee. <laughs> I think it should be a more ambiguous milk, like an oat milk. I think you need to fill that pinata boob full of oat milk. Let it be messy. Yeah. Make it into TikTok. Okay. Yeah, go viral. Get all the queer milks. Get your oat, almond. Soy's not queer anymore. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> though soy has estrogen in it, right? Oh, tiny traces. So okay. maybe maybe it is soy milk. <laughs> and then let it be messy because messy is queer, and queer is messy. I don't know. You have all of the the quarantine in the world to plan this now that you won't be having it uh, in person for a while. So just think of, you know, anything outrageous is going to be queer. Oh, I think one great thing that you can do, people love to guess. And if you get a bunch of fruit and have people guess what cup size that fruit is equivalent to, because yes. I have no concept of that. <laughs> I thought boobs stopped at double D until I was in college and my friend said that her boobs were an F and I was shocked. So if you have like a cantaloupe, apples, grapefruit, watermelon, you know, watermelons, <laughs> those boobs exist. Yeah. Yeah. They sat on my, on, gram on my grandma's lap. <laughs> they sat on my grandma's lap for years, those boobs. And yeah, I think that's a good idea because a lot of people, assume that double D is the biggest size and that's like the end all be all but as a double D that's not the case yeah have <laughs> why did I just reveal my cup size because <laughs> we're talking about cup size reveal okay uh, have a blast take some pictures and uh, thank you for being a patron and submitting this question and if you want we'll share these pictures uh, with all the other Super Susans on Patreon who are supporting us right now. And if you have a question, remember you can always submit it to dykingout at gmail.com. We do have a backlog of questions right now. And there's actually a service we're trying yes. that we're going to plug right now. You can find us on there. It's called Wizio. I thought it would be called Wizio, but it's Wizio. <laughs> and you can go to wizio.com, search us Diking Out. And it's a way for you to get advice in a more like personalized, straightforward way. If you don't want like a public answer, um, it's almost like cameo, but for advice. Right. And so, it's more efficient too. If you have like a pressing matter, you need it. Yeah. If you have for, a pressing we'll matter, right away. like exactly. We have to turn it around. Uh, I think within three days and you'll get a video. Well, now that we're in quarantine, I don't know if Melody and I can do it together, but we'll do our best to, to get those questions answered. It's just another option because we do get so many questions and some of them are pressing and it's hard to prioritize when, you know, Patreon goes to the top of the list and everyone else, we just try to see who has the most urgent question. <laughs> so you can go there. Um, we know some of you are having a hard time right now and we 
wish you the best. And we're thinking of all of our Susans out there. Uh, if you aren't having a hard time right now, please consider contributing to the podcast on Patreon or Himalaya or... Uh, there's a link in our notes for PayPal or Venmo Melody Kamali. <laughs> Venmo Melody Kamali. If- Melody Kamali lost her job due to the COVID. So diking out is now my full-time job. So I'm available. And mama needs a salary. Yes. So you are now all my clients. If you have, uh, <laughs> I'll make custom because content. Those, those just bras for you. must be expensive. <laughs> yeah. It is very expensive to get a decent double D bra. So not that I've yeah. been wearing any um, in the now two weeks I've been in quarantine, but I am looking for a nice new collection of home bralettes. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow us on social media at diking out everywhere you can follow me at tgi carolyn and see a cute video i posted of cecilia being silly other content like that and you can find me at melody kamali on venmo and instagram twitter facebook and thank you so much for diking out with us this week we hope that your quarantine is safe and healthy and not too uh, anxiety ridden and we hope that you're watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire on Hulu because that's where it's hanging out take care of yourselves take care of each other maybe take care of us a little bit we'll take care of you and uh, we'll dig out with you next week we're looking forward to it okay Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.